today on a very special episode of The One Upbeat. We dedicate an entire episode to the music of Final Fantasy VII, Nobuo Uematsu's masterpiece. We're joined in studio for the first time by our first live guest, and we'll be going over four different arrangement soundtracks from the Final Fantasy VII series. So kick back, relax, and get ready for an entire episode of Final Fantasy VII. back next we're going to look at the final fantasy distant worlds collection it started in 2007 and um, where it really came from it was it was kind of a um a slow burn of final fantasy concerts that started with a 2002 concert in japan and um they did another one i believe in 2004 um the music from final fantasy tour and then there was the Dear Friends music from Final Fantasy with Arnie Roth in 2005 in the U.S., which was another tour. And then the Distant Worlds was 2007, December 4th, 2007 in Stockholm. Well, I think the December 4th is when the album came out, probably. But I don't know if the concert... But the concert was in 2007. And then there was Distant Worlds 2 in 2010, Distant Worlds 3 from 2015, 4 in 2017, and 5 from 2019. Yes. Uh, so there's your there's your facts. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, Final Fantasy is is the kind of gateway to game music for a lot of people. So I mean, these are very popular concerts. I've been to I think at least two or three of them in New York. And, I went uh, to one, yeah, in 2016 after my horses died. One of my friends, uh, they were it was playing at the um, Lyric in Baltimore, Maryland. So we went. To one of those concerts and it had music from six seven and ten yeah i mean if you if you like final fantasy music you've probably been to one of these um hopefully mm-hmm. because it's a really good experience too it's a you know to have that concert experience which is you know i'm a big advocate for the live shows the live concerts which we haven't gotten very many of this year obviously it gets people to the symphony yeah it, and it does <laughs> and it really does and that's why you know you need more mainstream places playing music like this and not treating it like video game music you you want it to be music and i think a lot of this stuff can really stand up to it and these arrangements that we're gonna uh play in a little bit after discussing it um you know it's it's they're good they're good arrangements and they're good for you know their their key scenes that we're talking about um i guess we'll talk about you know what what are we what are we doing here the opening bombing mission so we finally get to discuss the opening which um we'll, we'll discuss that in a second the Chocobo theme, which is Cinco de Chocobo. And we'll talk about that. Cosmo Cannon and Genova. Right? Um, yeah. Let's talk about the opening bombing mission, because that's a big deal. Yeah, and this, uh, a lot of times when you, you go to uh, the symphony and you see one of these in concert, they, you know, they have some kind of different arrangements right like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. some worked some didn't and uh so some of these distant worlds arrangements are different than the originals and i'll get into those but the opening is 
very true. Like almost like, as an like as an arrangement, almost like a note for note remake. Um, and and I think this was done on purpose because that is your opening to the game. So you need to bring out that nostalgia, and you also need to uh, kind of extend this. Hey, trust us. Look at how we're we're keeping this right. <laughs> this is this is your opening shot, right? You, it starts with stars in the sky that turn into little, basically Mako uh, mist, and then you see Aerith's th- uh, face, and then she's in the the uh, the alley. She walks out. There's cars and people walking by, and then it pans up, and you know the music grows. Like it's very slow and quiet when it's Aerith's part, and then it you know that's massive like build up to where you see the logo final mm-hmm. fantasy 7 and the the meteor right and you it's the camera has panned back and you see all of midgar which in the original game was a massive city and it was breathtaking in 1997 for the remake it's an even more massive city um, and way more detailed so you know keeping that music the same makes sure that whether you're you're new or old to the game you're brought in in the same way you know yeah. and and everything kind of diverges from there how you're brought in where it, whether you remember it from the original versus you're new to it now but everybody has the same experience with the opening yeah mm-hmm. and Absolutely. i really like that i do too and that's interesting because you know you're describing shot for shot what is happening and i'm following along with you because i remember it that vividly like yeah. that's that's a part that I remember. It's a part that like it, when the music hits that big moment where it kind of explodes and the logo comes out, that's a big moment not just for the music and the game. That's a big moment for like I think video games in general. That right. was a look at what we've accomplished. Yeah. You know, it's 1997. Games are not that, you know, not that old yet. And this is look at what we've done. And that's their moment right. and the music complements that very well. To the point where, like, I get chills when I hear that piece still a lot of times. And when the remake, I, you know, there was a demo, right? Because I, right. I think I played the demo. I didn't play the full game yet. But in the demo, seeing that upgraded version of the same thing, I was like, oh, my God. Like, for yeah. me, as someone that doesn't have that strong of a nostalgic attachment to the game itself. The music, yes, but the game is different. And, you know, that's a it's a big thing. And I love how close it is to the original. Because it's a fantastic piece as an orchestral piece as it is. Right. And I always liked how the opening of 7... Now, I've played 6... Well, part of 6, I can't... uh, You know, it needs to be remade for me. Uh, Played 8 million times, 9 a million times, 10 and 10 too, a million times. Played 15... Played 12, didn't finish it, didn't really like it. Never touched 13, 13 13-2, or 13-3. But um, Seven's opening was just so much more cinematic than the others. Like, it told its own story in the beginning um, with, you know, here's this lovely woman, and she gets up, and she's just just this tiny person in this huge city and then like look at this massive city and then you've got the cuts of the train moving as you're zooming in toward the train right the train tracks like cut into the music with the sound of the screeching wheels and it's like this is like you know the start of a movie 
eight didn't really have that is you have cloud and squall or uh cloud squall and uh cypher fighting meanwhile the game gives away literally every uh f you know fmv throughout the entire game yeah. in between that right there's still a cool piece though <laughs> right, right? It, yeah and that music is beautiful and i love it you know liberale fatale right mm -hmm. but it's like you know it, it's not the same cinematic because of all of those other cuts from other parts of the game in there. And nine also had, had some great cinema, right? Where you've got, you've got this a big airship and this whole town is ready to celebrate people looking at it, you know, like it, it's great. 10 begins not with, uh, not really with, uh, the the computer animation, right? Because it starts with so. him and it, with him and Xanarkin listen to my story, right? And yeah. then it goes into back to Xanarkin when you get some computer animation eventually. So I mean, there's still like a nice, they're like they all have good openings, but seven was just so cinematic, um, and the music just worked right along with that. Just fit it. The music told a story, to where you know everything is just. It's there. There's a city. Things are happening. Here's this woman pulled back. Oh, my God, it's a massive city. Oh, my God, there's a train, you know, and then and then it goes into basically a, a version of, um, you know, kind of like the battle theme, because suddenly yeah. we're not a woman walking down the street, right, going about her day selling her flowers. We are people that are about to build up a build, uh, destroy a, a Mako reactor, right? We're, we're now suddenly we're terrorists and it's like, the, this is a heated moment. There's guards coming at us and, and there's fights and there's robots and, and, you know, giant sword gun arm, like these people, you know, in the original, you didn't get much background on them, you know, until a little bit into the game, right? When you decide Cloud's name and then like Jesse and Biggs and Wedge kind of tell you who they are and Barrett's explaining things. In this game, you get a bit more of their story as you go and you, because of the voice acting and the better graphics, you just, you get their character without them saying, well, I did this and that, you know, like having to explain anything. Mm -hmm. And the music just follows right along with it. It's, it's, it's great, and I'm really glad that Distant Worlds kind of kept that, you know, or every arrangement's kind of kept that. Yeah, it's pretty um, meta, right? It's like, it, it's it's trying to say more than just the beginning of a game. It's speaking to people in 1997, and it's kind of like, okay, you've grown up now. Video games aren't just for babies. Uh, good luck. Uh, have fun, and you're a terrorist now. Go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you feel, like, you feel like you've grown up a little playing it. It's, it's a big deal. It's a really yeah. big deal at the time, and like I said, the music complements that very well. And uh, then you get to the Chocobo theme. <laughs> it's a yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, Cinco de Chocobo, and I, I didn't like this arrangement. You know, like everything that I talked about with Farm Boy, and and Chocobo theme before that. I mean, anytime you you are on a Chocobo in a Final Fantasy game, it's, you know, I still haven't found the right word. I keep using the word upbeat, but it, it's just. It's just so much fun. It's a fun song, you know? Like, you're suddenly, you know, everything was so serious, and you as the main character, like, especially in 7 with Cloud and 8 with Squall, like, such serious men, right? Like, oh, and then all of a sudden you're, you're on this big yellow bird. You look ridiculous. So the music is, like, right along there with you. 
but this distant worlds version, it, it begins so slowly and quietly. And then it doesn't, it brings about that, that main Chocobo theme that we're all familiar with, but it does so in like this really languid manner. So it's kind of like lazy and, and, and lilting. And I don't know, it, it just, it lost all the fun. I mean, I think I wrote here in my notes, elevator music. You know what I think it is? It kind of um, sounds like you could almost completely ignore it if it was playing in an elevator. I think it's what it's trying to do. And obviously these are concerts that this is written for. I think this is the piece that they try to get like the kids and the parents to clap along with. It's that kind of like break from all the big stuff and like it's slow enough where people can clap and not like kind of lose themselves. But why bit. use the Chocobo theme for that? Because it's the fun one. That's why. But they made it not fun. Yeah, I know. Like, that's what the problem is. Is yeah. like, I don't see clapping along to this. I see, like, zoning out. It's the low-information musician <laughs> piece. It's it's the easiest one, um, you know, to give give a little background on the Chocobo theme. It's been around since, is it three or four that it was the Chocobo theme? Um, I don't know exactly, but, yeah, or I know it, it wasn't. It, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it wasn't one, but, yeah. Yeah, but it was a earlier games for but sure. they're in just about i think they're in every game since then yeah some right? version of it and it's always like a different genre de chocobo right yeah so um in this case the genre is cinco <laughs> but um it's always like a different spin on the same recognizable theme and maybe yeah. that's why they decided to do it as the i'm, I'm calling it the everyone clap along piece <laughs> of the concert because if you've played any final fantasy game to any Lent, you've probably heard the Chocobo theme. You know, mm -hmm. it's a good bet because it's one that's in everything. So, it, just to get the Chocobo theme in there, we we use this version, and then. Uh, but I just don't. I still yeah. don't understand this version. I don't know. I because the the original, like, just you know, excited version that'll get you clapping along. This this is background music. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't. I I don't love all the arrangements from Distant mm -hmm. Worlds. Um, some of them are a little just generic big orchestra. Like, you know, when they say, like, you ever see those YouTube videos where the remixes of game music and it's like yeah. epic orchestra version. A lot of the, a lot of, not, no, nah, I wouldn't even say a lot of. There's a, there's a bunch of Distant Worlds arrangements that just feel like ep epic orchestra versions of a Final Fantasy tune of some yeah. sort. Yeah. And again, it's a like generic. you're trying something. Yeah. And with trying this. To, I just, again, don't think it worked. Yeah. It's trying and, to get butts in seats, I think, really is what it is. <laughs> Um, Cosmo Canyon. Love Cosmo Canyon. I Cosmo Canyon. So, like I said earlier, that the the first, the beginning, um, like kind of starter village theme is always like comes back into my head. Just throughout the years, I can recall um, the village of Dolly from Final Fantasy IX, or you know, Calm from Final Fantasy VII. Besaid Island, all of this. But then for me, there's always like one other town theme that really stands out in the game. And so in nine, it's the city of Trino, right? It has this wonderful song. Um, and in Final Fantasy VII, it's Cosmo Canyon. I, I, I will be getting ready in the morning and just have these, this kind of tune in my head and I think it's, it's, it's for a different song, but somehow I line it up and it ends up just turning into Cosmo Canyon. And it's like, it's a song that, that just pops into my head. Me too. 
Yeah. Cosmo Canyon is just, it's yeah. so pleasant. It's, it was made for this Distant Worlds album. You know, the addition of the actual instruments like was really, really able to make the song pop. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always sounded, you know, tribal because this is, they, they you know, uh, Nanaki, Red 13 is, is pretty native. Um, the town, you know, they live in the canyon. It's, you know, basically, um, you know, a spiritual population, right? They yeah. study the planet. Um, so when you, you hear Barrett throughout the game in the original, it was something that I missed in my first playthrough. It's something, it's mentioned in the remake as well um, that, you know, Barrett was always going to take the members of Avalanche to Cosmo Canyon, right? And you kind of, it, it softens Barrett's character to remind you that he's not always just this angry eco-terrorist, right? Like, he is actually kind of a crunchy granola type, like underneath it all. Um, you know, I mean, this is uh, Cosmo Canyon's the place where if there was one town in the world of Final Fantasy that you could get crystals, you know, to change your mood, it would be Cosmo Canyon. And so this song, it, it you know, it, it kind of gets all of that. <laughs> like you could kind of imagine it playing in a new age store if you walked into it and and i love it I, it gets stuck in my head so often yeah me too and i don't even i don't really remember the part of that game very well just because mm -hmm. again i only played it once but every once in a while i'll be driving and i'll hear it in my head <laughs> it's right. really strange i don't know what it is about it i almost i almost want to call it a march sometimes but it's too slow to be a march but mm -hmm. there's a steadiness to it that just it, it just keeps going and going yeah and going. the drum the yeah. pounding of like just that kind of that that specific drum you know with the skin that you just see um not really in a, a lot of um american bands right but, but it, other it cultures feels, have that it almost feels sound. a little americana in a I, I, every once in a while i'll, I'll picture like you know, like Oregon Trail, like the yeah. the baskets, or what do you call them? The um, the carriages, right? Yeah. It's the, almost like the tempo is almost like that speed, where they're just yeah, kind of rolling along wagons. steadily. The wagons, sorry. There's <laughs> yeah. um, it, like a steady rolling forward. There's, it's, it's always yeah. pushing forward There is forward that kind of Western kind of... Yeah, and it's catchy know. in that way. Yeah, and I liked it. And, and I think part of the reason it always spoke to me was because... Um, you know, outside of, you know, my favorite characters being Tifa and Cloud and Reno of the Turks. Love the Turks. Love Reno. But uh, as, as Nanaki was always a character that there was just story missing for him. You know, he yeah. says he's the last of his kind, yet at the very end of the game, he has cubs. Not a species that can reproduce asexually. So, you know, clearly not the last of his kind. Do you know that? Huh? Do you know that? For a fact? Yeah. I mean, not for a fact, but I mean, like, he's clearly a mammal. Um, and, but also, you know, you also don't meet any other, like, everybody else in the game is human that can talk, right? Or a robot, right? With Cat Sith. But uh, with Nanaki, it's like, how did Hojo get him? You know? Like, there's, there's, there's always so many questions around him like his tattoos how did he lose his eye you know um his decisions to to speak differently 
with Avalanche than when he's at home and he's acting like his real age, you know, like how, why he tries to be an adult when he's not um, and how good he is at it actually. But it's just, you know, I, I, there's just always been a lot of questions surrounding him that aren't really there with the other characters, you know, with, with Barrett, you have this story of what happened to him in uh, Corel right and and why he hates Shinra you have this backstory in his family and I think a lot of what intrigued me about Final Fantasy 7 was what you didn't learn about mm -hmm. the characters and it's those questions that that plague you like all of those questions I have about Nanaki and more and then there's also there's this entire stretch of time that we kind of we know for after the Nibelheim incident incident to the bom opening bombing mission you kind of know where Barrett is at some point, but you don't know what Tifa did in those five years. And you don't know how she came to, to really meet Avalanche or become friends with Barrett, right? Because mm -hmm. she was 15 and then all of a sudden she's 20 and she's running this bar and she's, you know, an eco-terrorist. So like there's five years that's missing for her life. Whereas we have Aerith's entire life in the game. We have most of Cloud's life through that and through other franchises. But there's those questions about those particular characters, you know, that just are missing and just, I just want answered, you know, and, and Nanaki is a really big part of that. But do you want them answered or is it more fun to not have them answered? Or is this one of those cases where you feel like it was neglected? I think it might have been neglected, you know, or, you know, necessarily neglected because, you know, this is Cloud's story. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, other characters like Vincent's backstory got really fleshed out really well, you know, in Dirge of Cerberus. Uh, Yuffie was also kind of in that. Um, but, you know, that those five years where Tifa's in Midgar, we don't get. And all of Nanaki's background, because he's, he's, he's ignored a lot. And I, my theory was always that it was because of how hard it is to animate him. So, like, um, in, was it, the, the Advent Children, right? Nanaki is only at the end, and he's very brief. So is Cat Sith. They're both the furred characters, right? So they only are in there for maybe 10, 15 seconds in the entire movie, right? Whereas even... Yuffie and Barrett, who aren't there as much as Cloud, Tifa, the Turks, and Vincent, they get more time, right? Sid as well. But, and I, I think that happened in, in Dirge of Cerberus as well, whereas Nanaki is only very briefly, I think, at the very, very end, right? And I think a lot of it comes from animating him, which is something when they first announced the Final Fantasy VII remake, and I wrote an article of like, here's eight things that I want to see. It was actually a much longer article I had to cut down for, for word count. But one of those was not to skimp on Nanaki just because he's difficult or painful to animate because he's such a wonderful character. He's so interesting and there's so much we don't know about him that I want to know. Yep. I, <laughs> I don't know if I could add anything to that, but yeah, sure. Okay, uh, moving yeah, on to Genova. <laughs> So um, you actually sent me two Genova. There was Genova Complete and then Genova, which the uh, Genova one I think you're talking about now um, really took Genova. me. Yeah, 
yeah. really took me back. The opening, it's, it's just beautiful. It's, you know, reminiscent of exactly what you felt when you played the original game. Then it gets a, a little oddly disjointed, which yeah. I think... Um, I know what you're talking about. The jazz version of Genova was also very, like, scattered and disjointed, almost kind of like those, you know... Um, what is it? The type of jazz where you just kind of go. It's it's kind of messy, but it creates a song, and, and like, uh, uh, improvising. Kind of, yeah. It kind of feels like an improv uh, improvisation. Yeah, and, and like with the this that part of Genova, it's like the the chords they're they're clashing. They're you know it's it's not coherent, and then it comes back together into that smooth, pleasant kind of exasperation that you remember when you were playing the game because you were fighting a boss but the music was not like a boss music it was it was kind of uplifting yeah. you know it was um i i wrote smooth but the word i wanted to use first was like creamy because <laughs> it was just it's just i don't know it's just like this comfortable kind of music even though you're fighting this horrible monster it's almost like um well, the, the interesting thing about it is it's a very electronic piece in the original. So mm -hmm. to translate that, that to orchestra is very interesting because you end up having to use drum set, kind of like a man with the machine gun from Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. That's a very, that's, that's almost a perfect parallel, right? Mm -hmm. it, they had an orchestral version early on because of the, um, the Final Fantasy VIII orchestra album, which was like at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I that think it so. released. And they immediately gave it an orchestral version and, you know, there's drum set in there and really driving it forward. And I guess it's a similar, it, the piece plays a similar role in both games, but the man with the machine gun in, in Genova. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, I think it's a really cool, um, arrangement of it. I think it's a cool, it's one of the cases where it does work. That middle section. I was section, just going to say that, that it was like it, you know, it, but it also kind of like, Oh, this is working. Wait, what's that? Oh, this. Wait, no, there it is again. Yeah, you it's know? like a and weird it's kind of breakdown like... moment, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the trumpet, right? The the part where the, yeah. the trumpet kind of just flies off on its own for a second, and you're right. like, all right. And then the drum fill, and then it comes back. It's like really, it's kind of wacky, but I don't know, because it always felt very rushed and hectic. In the right. you know, just in general, the theme itself is is very rushed and hectic to kind of stress you out during the fight. Right, and it works. Yeah. it definitely works. Yep. It does. There's, there's, like I said, this like pleasantness to it, and yet it is also stressing. Yep. So should we uh, play the music? Let yes. the people hear the music now that they've yeah. uh, heard our thoughts on it. So this is uh, <laughs> Distant Worlds. Um, this is pulled from Distant Worlds 1, 2, 4, and 5, the four tracks that we have. Uh, there wasn't one from 3, but you know it's all the same thing. It's conducted by Arnie Roth, who's very involved in the, uh, I think he's the executive producer of the concert series. And he's obviously been with them since uh, 2005 with the Dear Friends concert in the U.S. So he's been very involved with Distant Worlds, and he's the conductor. He's the he's like kind of the, you know, the showrunner for lack of a better term, of the whole thing. It seems like, um, and this is Distant Worlds Final Fantasy VII. So please enjoy it.
And we're back, and that was uh, Distant Worlds Final Fantasy VII. And now we're on to 2018. 2018 uh, it's an album called Brabra Final Fantasy VII, and it stands for Brass de Bravo. So Brabra, I don't really know. But it, it's spelled B-R-A-B-R-A, so it's kind of Brabra. But I really like this one. I'm a big fan of this one because they're basically like wind ensemble arrangements, and you don't get a lot of that in anything. And it forces a lot of creativity in the arrangements themselves. And, you know, it's really fun. It's a good time. It's good music. Um, so Brass, uh, Brass de Bravo Final Fantasy VII was released April 4th, 2018. This is my favorite album, I think, out of, I think maybe out of the 40s, just because of the wind symphonic band style. It's uh, very popsy. It's less, it's not the epic orchestra the Distant Worlds is. It's a, it's kind of a pops album, and you know, a nice day at the concert sort of thing. There's uh, more diversity in the arrangements. Like, there's some tracks that are only woodwinds. There's some tracks that are more fanfare, only brass. Um, yeah, and maybe that's why I didn't. I liked some of the songs on this album, but I didn't like it as much as the jazz. Yeah. Album, just because it was like, this is a jazz album. These are yeah. jazz versions, whereas this was kind of, well, some of it's this, some of it's that. And then again, we had issues where some of the songs didn't work. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, that's always going to be the case with the arrangements, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, the first song that you uh, gave me from this album, Cat Sis theme, which is just, I mean, it's just perfect for it. It's the kind of theme that's perfect for this, perfect for the, the jazz album. I mean, it's, it's kind of a jazzy tune, right? And it's, because Cat Sis theme was always like, you know, I, I, I dis, we discussed this with Tifa's theme that the character themes in Final Fantasy like really tell the stories of the characters. So when you first meet Cat Sith, he's this ridiculous fortune telling, think he's a robot cat riding a giant stuffed Moogle, but no one quite understands how that works <laughs> because Reeve is controlling him. So, you know, it doesn't make sense. Is the cat alive and the ro Moogle is a robot? Are they both robots? What's happening here, right? Like, he's always a confusing character. There's just questions about him throughout the years. Um, but his theme song, you know, you first meet him at the Gold Saucer and everybody knows the Gold Saucer music, right? It's, it's you know, it gets stuck in your head like you're at an amusement park, you know. It's wonderful music, but it can get annoying really fast. Yep. Um, and Cat Sis theme kind of draws on that kind of um, theme park elements, but there's this, this undertone of like this laid back suspicion, almost like it's drawing from the Turks theme, right? And it, it's, to me, it, it makes me think of something like not quite film noir, but like out of the 1940s. It always reminded right? me of uh, the Pink Panther. Yes. Like that's I think what that's it seems what I like it's thinking. inspired by. It's Pink Panther. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, you're right. It that is it. But it's like um it's it's perfect cuz of Cat's Cat's like character, you know? Like he seems like this jovial fortune teller, but really he's working for the enemy, but he also then wants to do good, but he is still working for the enemy and you know, he does terrible things. So, so I think that the, the theme song and this version of it really, really captures all of that. Yep. And then we have Rufus's welcoming ceremony. <laughs> so I love Rufus's welcoming ceremony. Even this is though, the march. This is yeah, the march. Yeah, it was made for a marching band, right? Yeah. Like, so this is like, 
of course they were going to use this and have a marching band, you know, because it was like, it couldn't have been more perfect for it. So it obviously works well. And I love this song. It's recognizable. You know, there was even a moment in Final Fantasy IX where they brought it back, right? A little bit of a, um, what was it, fan service there or whatever. But it's um, nostalgia, I guess. Like, it does get really repetitive, so you can't listen to it very, very long. But, um, you know, you're, you're at this scene in the game, and it's kind of funny because it's kind of out of place and yet perfect for Rufus. So when you first meet Rufus Shinra, you know, the president of Shinra has just died and suddenly Rufus shows up to take over, you know, like almost like he knew what was going to happen, right? And so when he's first talking in the original game, when it's, it's not just you, him and Cloud, uh, in like it is in the remake, but in the original, you, you get that funny scene with all the characters when it's like, what a ragtag group, you know, and you've got Barrett saying, I'm with Avalanche, Tiva, me too, Aerith, I'm a local florist, right? And it's that they, they recreated that in the remake. Um, but with, I think it was just Aerith and Red and Barrett, which was really funny, right? Because it, like, that was one of my favorite Aerith scenes in the remake where she's just like, local florist, like, so proud of it, right? And uh, so, so you meet Rufus and he goes through his spiel because Rufus loves speeches and himself, right? And the dramatics, right? But not really like showy, right? Like he likes his speeches and the attention on him, but he never seemed like a parade was the answer. So he was kind of saying like, unlike my father, like I'm gonna, you know, rule with fear or whatever. And uh, we need to kind of, you know, trying to keep the whole Sephiroth thing under wraps. And then and here's this massive parade for me with everybody in Junin, right? And, and so I always like, I, I always love the song because I like that whole section of the game, you know? You're not fighting anything during that game, during that whole, this whole section of the game. You show up, uh, you have to ride a dolphin from lower Junin, right? To even get up to the upper section as Cloud, and uh, so that's, you know, something we're all wondering about in the remake is like, is he gonna ride a dolphin again? Like, how are you gonna do that with better graphics, you know? Um, and more realism, because, you know, that's just gonna be one of those absurd moments that might not make it, which would be really sad. But anyway, you get up to Upper Junin, he's wearing a soldier uniform, so they assume he's Shinra, and they're like, hey, no, why are you still dressed like that? You have to get into your, you know, your Shinra scrubs. And so then you have to do this march, right? And you have to march in time and try to get good TV ratings. Um, otherwise, the announcers will be like, that soldier in the back, he was awful. And then he, they give you a grenade. Like they're trying to like send you some sort of really horrible message about your marching, right? And then you, you're kind of running through the city. You could go to all the shops. There's tons and tons of them. You can find the Turks drinking but they don't recognize you because you're you've got a you know the face helmet on right and then uh you meet up again and you are one of three shinra soldiers that are like i guess just there to impress rufus like rufus is just standing there along with heidegger and you've got to do these moves in time like the the shinra officer is like you know stand right and you've got to do the march right or like move your gun in certain ways right and 
if you you get a you've got this little score at the bottom that's like uh, Rufus's approval or something. It's like how much is he enjoying this weird little pointless show? And if you score high enough, which is like you kind of got to mess up a bit to score high enough, then they give you like either really good material or a really good weapon. And it's just I don't know. It's just it's it's a really wonderful scene all around because it's very comedic and it stands out from the the rest of the game kind of around that point where everything is so depressing you know you were chasing Sephiroth who is traveling the world killing people and then you make it to Junin and it's like parade marching it's like one of those I feel like it's a classic movie scene where the events around the characters are less serious than the characters want to be at that moment yeah and it's almost like I keep thinking about um the Hitler scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade Mm-hmm. where he's like trying to get somewhere and he's like disguised as the Nazi and he's like walking around he's all concerned and he runs into Hitler and then there's like an obviously funny moment where he takes the book and he signs it like an autograph mm-hmm. and it's funnier than you could tell he's really stressed out in that moment and he's like because he, he has a job to do he has to get there you know he has to do what he's going to do yeah. but he has to go through this whole ridiculous thing where he dresses up and goes through the thing and you know, it was undercover. And this scene kind of gave me that vibe also where like you have this happy parade going on, but like everyone's kind of freaking out because they know they have to do something and be somewhere, yeah. but they have to deal with a parade first. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the parade's I, happy and it's just going on and marching around and marching along and, and it's absolutely pointless. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, we have, we have stuff to do. We got to go, man. Like, come on. Yeah. We've got to get to the to the cargo ship, right? So yeah. everybody has to dress up. So I, that's another scene that's going to be like, how do they do that in the remake? Because, okay, Tifa, Aerith, dressed in Shinra clothes. All right. You know, that's fine. Barrett in the sailor suit might be absolutely hilarious. Don't know. You know, going to have to hide that gun arm somehow. But fitting... Naneki into a Shinra outfit like he looked so pained even with the graphics of 1997 and then he turns around and his tail sticking out but it's like how are you going to do that with the new graphics yeah I mean you know? they could just go full ridiculous which is kind of what they did in the first part right yeah they kind of just just owned it because they had to I mean how else are you going to do it you can't you can't make serious these ridiculous things that were more acceptable in games back then right um yeah the, the next one is one that you requested, so I made sure we included it in here. Not that I, I, I'm sure I would have chosen this one anyway, but mm-hmm. I think this is the one that you said just as long as we include this one. Yeah. So, uh, the actual Japanese translation is "words drowned out by fireworks," which I hate. I hate the the other the translation that I grew up with, which which is "interrupted by fireworks." To me. You know, they both capture the scene, but this is probably one of my favorite um songs in all of final fantasy honestly it's and it it's it's amazing in the way that and it's probably with the writers right the good decent enough writing because this song plays in the original during the famous date scene which depending on how you've answered questions all the way up until this scene you'll either end up uh, running around the gold saucer and ending up in the gondola with Aerith or Tifa or Barrett or even Yuffie. And, of course, there's all kinds of, you know, it's much, it's, in the original game, it's easiest to get Aerith. You got to work a little bit, but you could get Tifa. You got to work really hard to get Barrett or Yuffie 
And then you've got, you know, all of the, the really terrible questions that come up with Yuffie's scene, considering she's only 16, but, you know, whatever. But uh, Words Drowned Out by Fireworks is what plays in the gondola. And it's, it's wonderfully sad, which is why I like it. Um, and, you know, with Eris' version, she's trying, she basically is, you know, trying to tell Cloud how she feels about him kind of she's like you know when I first met you basically was thinking of Zach but now I want to know you like the real you you know I thought I liked you but I really liked you because you remind me of Zach now you know I think I kind of like you and Tifa's thing Tifa's version she's like oh like she really wants to tell Cloud how she feels but she's too shy she even mentions like Aerith would be able to come out and say it in uh Barrett's Barrett's version they kind of just sit back and you know, I think there's a moment where he, uh, he, 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 like, Cloud says something, and so he gets mad at him, like, what are you, like, thinking about my daughter, who's, like, four, it's, like, really weird, Yuffie is the only one that actually, like, kisses him in the scene, and yet this one single track fits with all of those very different scenes, all those very different versions, um, and, you know, I've always liked it, this particular version I still like it, not as much as other versions because it's it's a bit too sped up. Um, in this this Brabra version, and it which what doesn't really fit with the the really slow, uh, tr- timid scene that it represents. You know. Do you think it's um it's held back by the instrumentation of the group? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's that. I think it's literally just that it's a little too fast. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, there was a other version that, you know, we aren't going to talk about, but that the, the final symphony was like, it's slower. You know, it's more in line with the speed that it should be. But uh, this is another one. This Brabra version is another example of what I said earlier about some of these songs ending up Disney-fied. Because uh, a lot of new versions of the scores, a lot of these different arrangements have this Disney feel to them. And the beginning of Words Drowned Out by Fireworks in the Brabra uh, album, the very opening of it is not exactly how it is in the game. And it actually, when I first listened to it, was like, wait, this kind of sounds like a whole new world from Aladdin. Like, there was, there was kind, kind of, of that Yeah, it's that kind of that scene, to though, it. right? It's like, it is. You know, you're, it, you're basically flying into the air in a gondola with, like, fireworks and, and you know, views yeah. of all kinds of different things. Like, you've got the chocobo races, you've got the, the roller coaster, you've got, you know, the other things that are going on at the Gold Saucer. So, yeah, it is kind of like a whole new world. But, like... That was kind of, I kind of heard it in the beginning of this version. The thing that I like about this, the reason I wanted to feature this version is because I really like when a band, like a symphonic band, a concert band, wind ensemble, whatever, tries to do those like soft and beautiful uh, pieces, you know, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of, you know, there's, there's, no, there's usually no saxophones in orchestras, right? In the same way that right. there's no string section in a band. Right. So to try well, to get a lot like, of bands now. Well, yeah, but to try to get like a saxophone to play something very beautiful and soft. Yeah. Is a little. There's there's a lot of there's there's 
something I really like because I play in a lot of these sorts of groups. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of this feeling of camaraderie between the band to try to get that balance perfectly because it's really easy for a band to be loud and to, you know, like a marching band or, you know, just to play a march in that sort of group, but to really like bring it down into a more beautiful, more expressive piece. There's a really, it's, it's a little different in a band than it is trying to do that in an orchestra because a lot of times the orchestra can just let the string section, you know, play full and play beautiful. And in the band, you have to just find that right balance of these very different instruments to do that for you and to trade off the melody between each one. You know, some, like I said, sometimes it would be the saxophones. A lot of times the saxophones, you know, substitute for strings in band arrangements or for orchestral pieces. Or, you know, you might move it over to uh, you know, the low brass section. We'll have to play the beautiful part. It's really interesting. So, you know, I thought this was an interesting example of that. Yeah. And the, the final song that uh, we were going to talk about, Birth of a God. Um, so I believe this, this one plays during Bizarro Sephiroth um, toward the end of the game. And, you know, I did like this version. The, there is an, a point in the beginning that really sounds like the theme song for some sort of action hero TV show or cartoon. I can't quite explain it, but uh, it, you can just hear it. I was just like, wait a minute, this almost sounds like, you know, something out of G.I. Joe or something. <laughs> Um, which, you know, I liked, I mean, this is, this is Sephiroth, you know, this is, well, another Sephiroth version, right? Because he's in the game so much and, you know, toward the end you fight him multiple times, multiple versions, multiple songs. Uh, this Brabra version, I found it a bit muted. It's not as punchy as the original but it still hits those notes of nostalgia that you know take you back to that to that whole fight yep so should we play the music yep all right so we'll play the music this is um bra bra final fantasy um from it was a specific version there's a few of them for you know throughout the final fantasy series and this was one that was specifically dedicated to final fantasy 7 it came out in 2018 um, and you just heard about the tracks. And uh, this was performed by the Siena Wind Orchestra in Japan under the direction of Hirofumi Kurita. Kuri- so uh, please enjoy it.
And we're back. Uh, that was the final selection, uh, the Bravra Final Fantasy. Uh, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, first, we're going to ask for any final thoughts before we play one more piece. So, uh, Ash, anything? I mean, hopefully we've given people some insight into the music from this game that, you know, if you love video game music, maybe you just love it like I did, you know, and you don't really think about what the music is is telling you that this is this is a good introduction to it because you know with video game music like something is happening while the music is playing you get also obviously get that in in music movie soundtracks as well right but that kind of helps you to think how is the music adding to this story how is it telling its own story beyond what you're seeing in the scene and and i think that Final Fantasy music in particular does a really, really good job of that throughout each of the games. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting when you've listened to all of this, these are just selections that we've taken. This obviously isn't the whole soundtrack, right? But even within these selections, there are so many key moments in each one. And there's so many memorable pieces that, you know, people remember, was it 23 years later, right? Yeah. And you realize how big this score is and like again for 23 years ago the 90s was you didn't get that very often and each piece is profound each piece speaks for itself each piece is uh you know is is iconic really to, to overuse that word really you yeah know? i mean the game came on three discs so did the soundtrack yeah i mean it was paired to each disc but each of those soundtrack discs had you know like 20 songs on them they were there was a lot there's a lot of music in that even in that game and eight nine like all of them there's tons and what i always enjoyed about them was that there was like the main theme and you could hear it in quite a lot of the songs and there were themes in certain songs that would carry into other songs right so you had flowers blooming in the church and eris theme right and a lot of the Shinra music appeared, you know, in, in other, other songs relating to Shinra and same thing with Sephiroth. Um, but then there was also tracks that, you know, were very different, you know, um, that stood out and weren't really, but weren't really added into other, like, you know, Tifa's theme had some of the, the main theme elements and so did words drowned out by fireworks. But there was just something so different to them that they stood out. And you see that in 8, 9, 10, 10, 2. You see that in all of the Final Fantasy games where, and you just think like Nobu Yamatsu was just, he was the one like doing all of this music, right? And you just think about how much music he cranked out and how much original, good original themes came out of each of these games, you know? Yeah, that we remember after all these years that, you yeah. know, it was, it was a... Uh... It was a film score level effort. This game, it was a yeah. it was a big budget film score effort with a lot of memorable themes, like you know in Star Wars or you know a lot of those movies where there are. It's not just the main theme that they keep replaying over and over throughout the score. There are a lot of different parts, a lot of uh, light motifs played throughout the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and and one thing that I'll say about remake is what remake did was to expand on all of that. So as you're playing remake you'll hear familiar songs, but depending on what's happening in the scene, 
the music will will seamlessly change. And so they, the Square Enix actually did a video about how they did this and, and how when you're playing the game, you might not even notice it. It's, it's so seamless, but it's like, so that opening bombing mission, like once you're in the reactor, right? You've got this overall kind of music in the background as you're like walking around, but then it speeds up and becomes more intense when you're in a battle rather than a whole new song playing. It kind of blends into the battle theme so that, you know, you almost don't notice it's happening. It's just like the music has kind of changed along with the scene and then it gets slower, you know, when necessary. And in, I think that's why it won best score at the game awards was because the music evolved along with what was happening, what you were doing with your character, and you had a lot more freedom than you did in the original game, right? And yeah. where it would be the same song playing over and over and over, unless it was like the opening or the ending theme where it was, you know, a set scene, and so the music could travel along with that. And the, the, the remake actually recreated that, but in every scene you're in. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, and... and it also one be because this music is still great. This this is great music. This isn't just like something cute that was you know kind of some boppy little tune back in the day. It, it's it holds up today. It's a yeah. you know it's a it's a premium effort. It's the real deal. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna play ourselves out here. We're gonna first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing? It's like <laughs> to are you play yourselves I... out. It's like you know giving the Grammy speech. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, okay, but, uh, you've been talking for a long time. Like, yeah, I know. Play, I mean, we've been play here out. an hour and a half, just uh, talking an hour and a half, you know, not yeah. even playing the music. Um, we're going to play a piece from Final Symphony, music from Final Fantasy VI, VII, and X, which was a, um, I don't know if it was a concert or if it was just an album that was uh, recorded. I think uh, it was a concert because I think it was a concert I saw in 2016. It was those three games. Really? Oh. Yeah, it I was six, seven, and ten. Yeah. Um, this says it was from 2015, so it could have been recorded in 2015 and then they went yeah. around with it. But it was the London Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, um, there's a piano concerto that they make from Final Fantasy X, a symphonic poem from six, and then a symphony in three movements from seven. But um, what we're going to play is just a shorter piece. It's the encore, which is right after this Final Fantasy VII symphony. And it's the continue music, like the game over music. And it's just a very beautiful, soothing piece that, you know, the, the point of this recording is basically to, it's a more classical musicized version of Final Fantasy VII, where it's in the more traditional classical, uh, you know, classical music form than, you know, game music or orchestral game music or even film music. It sounds like classical music, and that's why they got the London Symphony to record it for them. So we're going to play the continued music from Final Fantasy VII, and uh, I guess that's 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 basically it for us. Um, Ash, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful. It was a lot of fun. I hope it was. And people <laughs> will tell us if it wasn't. But uh, here is the uh, encore from Final Symphony. Music from Final Fantasy VI, VII, and X. This is the one upbeat. I hope you enjoyed our first interview episode. And we'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to Tee Public to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.